And you are listening to the Lost Boys Movie Minute Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the 1987 horror movie directed by Joel Schumacher. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Scott Danielson. And tonight we are discussing minutes 10 through 15. Mm-hmm. We open up... There... Whoop, go ahead. Oh, sorry, no, it's just, it's, it's, lot, lot, lot goes on in this five minutes. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff goes on in this, in this episode, so we're gonna get right to it, uh, because the last couple of episodes have been a bit longer than I was planning, but that's okay, we actually wanted to promote a amazing cover of Cry Little Sister by the, uh, by the guitarist who actually came on the Radio of Horror Show, the Dr. Chris Radio of Horror Show, so the episode opens up right where we ended it with the concert with Tim Capello singing I Still Believe. Yep. It's uh, it's originally the song is originally by a band called The Call, and they he is in his he's in his pants and he's gyrating and playing the saxophone and singing. <laughs> he is basically doing it all, pumping his fist in the air, and uh, I think we posted on the Facebook page and tweeted out the picture of me with Tim Capello dressed as uh, me dressed as Alice Cooper and Tim Capello, well as Tim Capello, right? Did yes, we send that, that out? Okay, yes, we did. That we did. Yes, we did. And, and, uh, yeah, Tim Capella is actually getting some some heat nowadays because he has a new album coming out, and uh, he also was he is also pulled on for uh, for Michelle Wolf's show on Netflix for a segment called Saxophone Apologies. <laughs> so they would do they'd be like, hey, we're apologized, you know, in post for the, something that happened, and then cut to Tim Capello in one of his jumpsuits playing the sax and gyrating around. Now, a little spoiler alert. The comic book series, The Lost Boys, that was published by Vertigo DC Comic Books for six issues, written by Tim Seeley, the creator of Hackslash, actually has an alternate cover of Tim Capello as the Believer. Now, he tries to join the vampire organization founded by the Frog Brothers, um, actually founded by somebody else, um, Grandpa. Let's just face it. Grandpa knows about vampires. So we, we, yes. you, if you're listening to this podcast, you have seen the movie. Mm-hmm. Either at least once or numerous times. Grandpa is revealed to be, in the comic book series, part of a vampire hunting organization that the Frog Brothers get involved with as well because of what happens at the end of this movie. Tim Capello's character, the Believer, tries to join them um, and is rejected, but later on helps out the Frog Brothers and Michael and Sam to stop the new vampires who come into Santa Carla in the comic book series. And the grease that he wears is also... Holy water mixed very with grease. Nice. Yes, very, very nice. We actually have a special guest with us to talk about uh, a little bit about Tim Capello's uh, greasy saxophone player scene and a little bit about the scene involving Superman in the comic books. Someone who's also from Phoenix, too, which is something mentioned in the previous episode. When they think Grandpa's dead, Sam goes, can we go back to Phoenix? And Mom gives him the dirty look. We have Kara Nicole, AZ Power Girl, on the show with us. Thank you, Kara. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited about this. This is one of my favorite, favorite sections of this movie. So really excited to get to talk about it and hash it all out. And besides being, of course, a Superman fan and a cosplayer, you're also a big horror movie fan, too. Oh, big time. Who isn't? Oh, weirdo. Sorry. But you, no. but your horror movie, horror movie love isn't as like prominent as your like your your love of like superheroes and cosplay. So it's always great to to get this little piece of you that you don't seem to get to explore that much in your modeling. It's my dirty little secret. It is your dirty little secret, and we are happy to share any dirty little secrets you want to share with us here on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to hit the E button on iTunes if we get too far into this conversation, but I digress. Um, 
What did you think about when you first saw this scene with Tim Capello rocking out with I Still Believe? So when I first saw it, I didn't think much of it. I was a little younger, and I, you know, it was a great song. Love hearing a sax. There's nothing like music with a saxophone. And the fact that that was the heavy hitter. He wasn't, the, he wasn't on the sidelines. He wasn't in the background. He wasn't just getting a solo. This song was not just the song with the lyrics. It was the saxophone. This was not, this was not a single person song. This was a duet between the man and the sax. The sax, not the sex. I thought you said... Not the sex. Okay. The sax and the sex. What Tim does with his sax is his business. I'm not going to get into that. Don't judge. Don't judge him. Now, if you've ever met Tim Capella, have you ever been to a convention where Tim's been at? I haven't. I met him, and he's fabulous. And I got to watch him perform. I still believe it was amazing. And he wore the cod piece, although he didn't go shirtless. He wore a tank top. He's 50 years old, looks incredible, and even sells his own baby oil. Which, according to the Vertigo DC comic book series, uh, six-issue series The Lost Boys, written by Tim Seeley, the creator of Cassie Hack from Hackslash, um, is like holy oil. And so when he fights the vampires in the comic book, uh, the, 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 the Believer is his name, uh, he hurts the vampires uh because he's covered in the the uh the holy oil oh that's interesting i didn't know that yeah and what's funny is that uh i got a i got a bottle of his holy oil and if you if you it burned you when you put it on didn't it i have not put it on yet i actually still have it in the in the original bottle it sits right next to my exorcism kit uh tim (laughs) capello is so outgoing and so full of energy at conventions he's so much fun we also get to meet Star and Laddie now. This is the introduction of Star and Laddie, because they're seen walking down, uh, played by Jamie Gertz, and mm-hmm. uh, Chance Michael Corbett, who, by the way, does not have an IMDb picture, but Jamie Gertz, uh, still very attractive. I forgot that she was Melissa Reeves in Twister. Yeah, yeah, she shows, she shows up in a bunch of, like, random, I wouldn't say seminal, but at least noteworthy blockbuster movies. <laughs> yeah, but did you remember her uh, in uh, Twister? She was the ex-wife. Or she was, sorry, yes. she was the new girlfriend. Helen Hunt was the ex-wife. Uh, yes. Melissa was the new girlfriend to um, Bill Paxton. Yeah, she's very not cool with storm chasing. <laughs> no, no, but I, I almost, I, I completely forget that that's her every time I've seen that movie. Uh, yeah. I think I think she is still incredibly attractive. Obviously, she is drop dead gorgeous in this movie. I mean, they really did a good job of with with uh, casting her. But she's also been on Ally McBeal and ER and Dream On. Yeah, I mean, she's had an extensive career. She's kind of popped in wherever she wants. So people, I, I feel like that's a, a thing with her. It's just like, oh, it's JB Gertz. And she was also on 44 episodes of The Neighbors, a TV series that I think was on Showtime, starring um, a former. I believe. Okay, this is not the show I was thinking of. Okay, the neighbors was. Oh, okay. Now we know this. A New Jersey family moves into an affluent gated community composed entirely of extraterrestrials. Ran for two oh. seasons before it was canceled. I never saw it. Yeah, neither have I. She played the mother alien on the show, Debbie Weaver. And then, of course, we also were introduced to Laddie, played by Chance Michael Corbett, who was in The Rocketeer. 
and has been on Baywatch and pretty much doesn't have any type of career after 1991 with the exception of Hallow's E, which came out five years ago. But uh, very, very small career. But supposedly was supposed to come back for the fourth Lost Boys movie playing a werewolf hunter this time. He was still Laddie, but he was now a werewolf hunter. Huh. Oh, no, I just, I, it'd be interesting to see how they could weave that in. <laughs> he, uh, oh, so little fun fact about Tim Capello. He was, he went to audition with Joel Schumacher for a role in this movie, and Joel Schumacher found out that he was Tina Turner's backup guitar, uh, 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 saxophone player, and that was one of the bigger reasons why he was hired, because he could actually play saxophone. Yeah, I mean, he had a long long career with Tina Turner. Uh, I, yeah, he played with um, one of her songs in uh, Thunderdome and Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Yeah! And, uh, and he actually apparently had... Uh, we The outfit that he wears and everything and being greased up, that is pretty close to his normal thing. Apparently he used to tour with... Car- and this is Wikipedia. We could verify <laughs> potentially some other way. But apparently he used to be in a G-string and be like pulled in with a chain on tour with Carly Simon. <laughs> so it used to be even more risque, apparently, in the 70s. Now, I actually brought this up to Tim Capello when we were talking at Rock and Shock last year in Worcester, Massachusetts, about being called The Believer, because the comic mm-hmm. book calls him The Believer. That's his nickname. In IMDb, he's given the credit as, like, greasy saxophone player, but the character in the comic book is called The Believer. That's not to be confused with the 2014 Ryan Gosling movie, uh, called the Believer, where he plays oh, no. a young intel, young uh, anti-Semite who joins a group of neo Nazis. Not the same, no. <laughs> Not the same. But uh, at the end of the episode, we will play a bit of "I Still Believe" from the Lost Boys uh, for you. So if you're not familiar with the song, shame on you. Michael sees Star and mm-hmm. decides to go after her, while uh, Sam has something better to do: comic book store. Then we cut to Mom. Yep. Yep, the, yep, then we got the mom, and she actually has found a lost boy. <laughs> she did find a lost boy after she sees um, Vernon Beasley's wife posting his uh, missing persons po- po- uh, picture. Uh, Vernon was the security guard that we met in the first episode who was killed by David and his crew. Yep, it's a, it's another it's another on the wall because we've we've seen a number of shots of missing people and especially children, but this is this is actually one of the first missing adult signs that we've seen. Who has twenty thousand dollars to give away for a reward in nineteen eighty seven? Wow. I don't know. Apparently, the pensions for security guards at the amusement park are really good. We get to the video store and we meet Max now, and Max is played by unfortunately another actor who has uh, been lost to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's Edward Herman. As I think he went as Ed Herman in this movie, and uh, he's probably he's well, he's obviously famous for this movie, but he's very famous to millennials for being uh, the uh, patriarch of the Gilmores and Gilmore Girls. <laughs> that is right. He was on the Gilmore Girls for a number of episodes, and he was also on the Good Wife recently too, uh, for a more recent thing. But yeah, 154 episodes. I think he's given an honorable mention or something in the Gilmore Girls revival show too. Yes, yes, he is. They they give him kind of a send off, and uh, even even when the show was still running, it was always and with special appearance by Edward Herman. Like he got his own little section every time. Right. Wait. Didn't the uh, the new show open up with his funeral? Uh, I haven't I haven't seen the very beginning of it. I do I do know they do address him passing in that you know Mrs. Gilmore, not like Lorelai or Rory, the uh, his wife. Her her arc is all about dealing with his death and kind of developing her own identity away from him. 
Right, 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 right. Um, he was also on. He was also in the uh, movie My Boyfriend's Back. Did you ever see that? No, I can't say I have. It's about a guy who's killed um, and then comes back as a zombie because he wants to take his uh, the girl he loves out on a prom date. I mean, if they don't play the song, it's it's a. It's oh, a they shame. play it. They play it in the trailer. They play it in the Good. trailer. Uh, the movie uh, is best known for introducing us to Philip Seymour Hoffman. I believe this was his first oh, film. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. he plays a uh, one of the high school bullies in the movie. There you go. Yeah, but uh, he actually plays Mr. Dingle, who is the father of uh, Johnny, uh, who comes back. Oh, okay. Yeah, very good movie. Um, best uh, best for having Tracy Lind in it, who plays Missy, the girl he comes back for. She was the girlfriend of Charlie Brewster in Fright Night Part 2. Gorgeous oh, actress. Okay has denied every single attempt for an interview by anybody about her career, including the Fright Night documentary that came out a few couple of years ago, has no interest in Hollywood whatsoever anymore. And she's entitled to her privacy, but it's very sad that she won't do any interviews. I mean, you could at least... I mean, she... Honestly... With, with horror fans, she could probably make a living on the con circuit. <laughs> oh my god, she could totally make a living on the con circuit in these two movies. My Boyfriend Back is an underground kind of cult classic, so... Um, mm-hmm. But... Uh, so we get to the video store, and uh, lo- the Lost Boys come in right after Mom, and Max is already like, get the hell out of my s- store, you're going to blow my cover, I totally want to bang this milf. Yeah, he, he, he says, he says, I thought I told you not to come around here anymore. And uh, and David actually gives him kind of like a smirk, like, what are you up to? Yeah, man? you want her? Oh, I see what you want. You want some of this. Because uh, he, like, eyes her, gives her, like, an eye really quick, like, mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and up and down, and then on on his way out. Now, I want to point out some of the movies that we see in the background of the video store. Of course, we see The Goonies. Yeah. Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> There's a ton of references to Richard Goddard movies in this thing, but yeah, that's that's definitely one of them. Oh, we're going to come up on a big one very soon. Um, yes, we are. <laughs> but uh, The Killing Fields and, gee, what movie is directly behind Max every time the camera shifts to the right? What movie starring Jim Carrey and Laura Hutton? I believe, is that, is that Once Bitten? Yes, it is Once Bitten. have to say this right now i don't care how crappy that movie is because it's a bad movie but once bitten is one of my favorite vampire movies of all time and probably one of the first vampire movies i ever watched when i was an adolescent and i didn't know what the freaking frack i was watching it was lost like boys it was once bitten and it was my best friend is a vampire this is also the like... movie that introduces us to jim carrey this is his very first movie and you nice. get to see all of jim carrey's little nuances and mannerisms and his funny comedy bits 
comes started with this movie and you watch it. And yes, he's not completely Ace Ventura outing in this film yet. But you can really see where it evolves from in this movie before he gets to In Living Color. But uh, that's a whole other podcast that we could probably do one day. <laughs> so back to the video store in question. Also, Born on the Fourth of July is seen in the background, too. And someone told me that the movie that she won the Academy Award for is actually in the background, too. Not playing on the TVs, but like when they keep like switching the shots of the video store, the movie <laughs> that she won the Academy Award for uh, just oh, before this. Of the Hannah and her sisters? Yes. I think someone someone has told me that it's really quick, but it's like Hannah and her sisters, the VHS tape or a poster is seen almost really quick. Man, and that so makes, many Easter eggs. Yeah, but that makes sense that they would have that. So so then Michael follows Star, and Sam sees the comic book store, and, but Sam's not as interested because he's not in the girls yet. You know, runs off to the comic book store because that's what he's more interested in. You know, he's only like 11 yes. years old, 12 years old. Not quite into girls quite yet, as much as his older brother is, obviously. So he runs into the comic book store where we get the worst misinformation about Superman ever, the Frog Brothers. Yes. Played by uh, Corey Feldman and Jameson Newlander. And I've never met either one of them. Uh, I think I've said I've only ever met one or two, sorry, two actors. I met Tim Capello. And I met, uh, I met of course, uh, Corey Haim before he passed away. Corey Feldman, of course, was in The Goonies, which is in the video store. He was also in Stand By Me and The Gremlins and many, 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 many films. Currently, uh, well, sorry, as of recently, he played Slash on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Nickelodeon cartoon. Perfect. Which is, well, he did do the he did do the voices in, uh, yep. for the Ninja Turtles in the original live action movie. So correct. He was the voice of Donatello in uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one and three. I believe his drug problems took over and was a bit too much for him to be able to be in part two. But he was also best known for playing Tommy Jarvis, the kid who kills Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Very nice. Yeah, so uh, long career. It's still kind of going on hit or miss. He's a child actor who's had a lot of problems. But I I, I would still love to meet him one day. I know he's come above a lot of the, the problems that he had. But Jameson Newlander mm-hmm. has been in The Blob. He was, of course, uh, he came back for Lost Boys of the Thirst as Alan Frog, a grown-up Alan Frog. And that was pretty much the kind of revitalization was, of his career was when The Tribe came out in The Thirst. Yeah, I mean, it's the nostalgia wave for the 80s has hit pretty hard, so it makes sense. But he only had, like, one or two credits to his name when he did The Lost Boys. Yeah, I, I mean, it, with... with Younger actors, it's, as soon as they make an impression on a director, they can usually keep working for for a bit. And I think that's kind of what happened with like Corey Feldman and Corey Haim. Like they 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 were they were competent. <laughs> and Corey Feldman has this deep register in his voice, just talking this low most of the time. <laughs> now and he looks like he's twelve. <laughs> some of the comic books that we see in the comic book store are too numerous to mention. But I'm going to point out some of the ones that really stood out for me. The Avengers, Web of Spider Man is the comic book that Sam picks up. By the way, I think it's Web of Spider Man Annual Number. Four, I believe, or annual number one, so you can correct me on that. But I have that issue that he picks up. Uh, oh, Fantastic nice. Four, G.I. Joe, Superman, and Action Comics. I don't understand why Superman and Action Comics are possibly in that comic book store. But, uh, no, I, no idea. Yeah, but I love the line where he's like, okay, so this was not... He basically is trying to point out that the that the uh, the comic books are, are misplaced. And yes. 
he's looking for a copy of Batman number 14, and there's only five in existence. I don't understand that at all. Now, he's probably also referring to the fact that Golden Age comic books are extraordinarily hard to find these days. Because of the war effort during World War II, comic books were rounded up and turned into recycled paper for the war effort, or shipped off overseas to our guys overseas during the war, and they were destroyed. But Batman number 14, the original... Batman number 14, if I can, if I am, if uh, Google wants to work for me, was the first appearance, I believe, of the Penguin, but don't quote me on it. The Penguin's on the cover. The case Batman failed to solve is the issue that we're talking about. It is not the first appearance of the Penguin. In fact, the Penguin appears on the cover, but the Penguin does not actually appear in the comic book. It's the first and oh. only appearance of a villain called Red Rip. But oh. it's the only case that Batman failed to solve. Now, there was recently a Batman animated movie called Scooby-Doo and Batman the Brave and the Bold, where Scooby-Doo teams up with Batman uh, from the Brave and the Bold cartoon series. All the animation was the same. The voice actor came back to play Batman once again. Very cool if you ever watched Batman the Brave and the Bold. Uh, Batman, by the way, is owned by Warner Brothers, which owns the Lost Boys. In it, Bat there was a case that Batman was never able to solve, and it's the only case as part of the Detective Guild in Gotham that is in his unsolved case files. Among the other detectives in there are The Question, played by Jeffrey Combs, uh, mm -hmm. Detective Chimp, and Plastic Man. And okay. he invites Mystery Inc. to join the Gotham Detective League, and they, <laughs> he wants them to help him solve the one case he can never solve. Nice. That's a good throwback, because the original Scooby-Doo cartoon, I believe, they did have, like, uh, you know, like, they had, like, Burt Ward and Adam West in, in one of those, like, crossover things like they used to do with, uh, you know, the Harlem Globetrotters, or I didn't think they even did one with Gilligan's Island before. Actually, it was not Adam West and Burt Ward voicing... It wasn't. Uh, no, uh, it was Casey Kasem who had done the voice oh. of Robin in that episode. I don't remember who plays Batman, but that was Casey Kasem, who was also the voice of Shaggy. Oh, perfect. Casey Kasem would retire, and Matthew Lillard would take over as the voice of Shaggy, and Matthew Lillard's been doing it ever since, more or less. There's a couple times yeah. I don't think Lillard did the voice of Shaggy, but almost 90% of the time, it's been Matthew Lillard as the voice of Shaggy. Yeah, whenever you can, <laughs> get, the, get the right so, voice. He's also looking for Superman number 98, and I'm like, or, or sorry, he's like, oh, Superman 98 wouldn't be here. And I'm like, Superman number 98 is like this incredibly old comic book from the Silver Age. Yeah, he's. Yeah, he seems to be throwing down his comic knowledge because the Frog Brothers are like, "Hey, you're in the wrong spot. You've got this fashion nightmare on. Frozen yogurt shops over this way. <laughs> you don't actually belong here." Does he wait? <laughs> does he say? Did they, do they mention the frozen yogurt in this in this five minutes or the next five minutes? I'm pretty sure it's this. It's pretty sure it's this one. But they okay. they scope them and they're like, "Hey, you, you've got a. You're at the wrong spot. You need to." <laughs> You, and then so they're like, oh, what are you looking for? And so he's just dropping his knowledge to prove that he belongs there. Okay, so then he says you can't put the issue 75s with the 200s because they, uh, they haven't even found Red Kryptonite yet. And then it ends. And then we get yep, to the, right then, there. Yeah, right there. So that's, that's a good time for us to end. What are some of your thoughts about this scene involving the, uh, the different the, – the, the forms of Kryptonite and how Sam, like, tries to rearrange their store and – you know, and by the way, the issue of Batman that he's looking for, as we went over, uh, is not that significant. <laughs> okay, so first of all, when it comes to that, let's be realistic. Those books would be in comic book boxes because there are so many old comics. The comic book stores do not leave books that are this old with minimal value out on the shelves. 
usually those locations are left for the new releases, which none of these are. So the fact that they were out there was just a way to try to prove the character's, you know, geeky-hood. So it was just a way to make, uh, make, make Sam more credible to the Frog Brothers. Correct, which... And, my only, my only, my only problem with the scene is sometimes, and thinking about it, is because, as we've alluded to, uh, this film has been, you know, this film is produced by Richard Donner, who had a hand in helping make us believe a man can fly. And you're kind of wondering if he had such great access to DC Comics making that movie, wouldn't someone in DC Comics, you know, been easier to make a phone call to DC Comics and go, hey, um, so we're gonna put some Superman references in this movie with comics. What issues connected to what? Because I know so many different Superman fans who have picked up Cena Park being like, no, Red Kryptonite didn't appear in that. It was this, so on and so forth, and yada, yada, yada. I really don't think much of it. I think that it's one of those things that they probably shouldn't have done. I think that that's, this movie is so much more. So to pick apart that one scene, you kind of just miss the rest of the movie. And I just bypass it, you know? I really didn't... I, I get what they should have done. They should have corrected it. But what are you going to do? Right. Exactly. You know, they could have, but then also when you start getting into that, then you have more explaining to do. And then it's going to take longer. I mean, realistically, like I said, all that stuff should have been in comic book boxes anyway. However, I have a friend who owns a copy of the Vampire's comic that the Frog Brothers give to Sam. I heard that that comic book was only produced for the movie, and it still sits in the comic book store that they used. Oh, you know the guy who owns the store they used. No, I own, I know a guy who owns a copy of, they they don't make just one book. They make multiple copies of this book. Oh, okay. You know, I know someone that does own one of these comics. Okay. I also found this comic book on an Etsy store. Like somebody actually recreated it for an Etsy store. Right, and they, they recreate them and that sort of thing. So that that's a really fun little thing to have. Um, you know, we always like having parts of, you know, movie memorabilia. Like, you know, like you mentioned that uh, The Goonies was playing in the background of the video store. A friend of mine actually had gotten a hold of the key that The Goonies had. You know, the, the, the skeleton key had borrowed it from a friend and made a copy, made a mold. So I actually have a copy from that movie as well. So that's a, that's a fun little thing to to have, but yeah. So the comic it was it's not a real comic. We all know that there's really nothing in there as far as uh, storyline or anything along those lines. It was created for the the movie, so I think that's really great. Did I mean I love looking at the vampires from back then because that's also when the guys went into the video store was within this time frame. They look like an 80s hairband from a soap opera. The the funny thing about that comic, by the way, is that before the Comic Code Authority came along and the McCarthy era of witch hunting came down on the comic book industry, where they were saying, like, drugs and being gay is all a sin, they're going to corrupt our children, and blah, blah, blah. We've all heard the, heard the story before of, of uh, The Seduction of the Innocent was the name of the book that kind of destroyed the industry for a little while. Um, there was a comic book called Vampires Everywhere. I did not know that. That is very cool. Yeah, but uh, copies... And it doesn't matter because the the vampires are going to eat you anyway. (laughs) But uh, I would have loved it if, like, for the anniversary release of this movie, you know, like, obviously, um, 
uh, Warner Brothers, who you know owns DC Comics, who would easily obviously be able to publish it, uh, had published this and like packed it into like the DVD or something. But uh, maybe you know the next time we get an anniversary of this movie, they'll they'll do something like that, uh, which I think would be kind of cool. That would be cool. I want to know where all the bodies are. I mean, the vampires only, you know, they only drink the blood. And I do like in this movie how, you know, they don't just bite you on the side of the neck and make it all sexy. You know, they just, they'll just brutally kill you and take blood from anywhere they can get it. So I think that that's really a great, you know, side of the story as well. And what do they do with all the bodies? One thing I'd love to point out is that the, uh, that the uh, in case you weren't aware, the Lost Boys is set in the 1980s. And I'm now part of a documentary called uh, In Search of Darkness, which is going to be a 80s documentary about 80s horror. A documentary about 80s horror. Nice. Yes. I don't have much more details beyond that, but there is a Twitter account right now, and there will be a Kickstarter kicking off in October about this documentary. And it's going to cover as much 80s horror as we can pump into it. We are leaving out a lot of science fiction, so things like Life Force and Aliens, I believe, are not going to be part of it. More sci-fi based. So it's going to be like slasher films and whatever other 80 horror movies that we can cram into it. Phantasm and Werewolf of London, Lost Boys, you know, Fright Night and Chucky and and so on and so forth. So look for that and more information as we go along. Well, that's Um, perfect. I mean, it's a breakout decade for the genre. Exactly, exactly. That's pretty much going to be it for this five minutes of the Lost Boys Movie Minute podcast. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Lost Boys Movie Minute. This is a part of the Radio Horror Networks. Go to RadioHorror.com for all the other shows that we have. I would also like to thank AZ Power Girl, Karen Nicole, for coming on the show with us to give us her, her inside thoughts and for helping us promote the podcast as well. Thank you, Kara. And we're going to leave you with The Believer. I still believe, sorry. <laughs> Not the theme song to the movie about white supremacy. <laughs> thank you, everybody.